Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 33. We have everyone here this week. It's myself, Sarah Gladys, and Mark. We also have a guest, Carmichael Patton, who is here to talk to us about Zero Trust. But before we get to our guest, uh, let's take a look at the news. I'll kick things off. Uh, first item that sort of took my attention the last few weeks is a YouTube video about using Azure Sentinel to analyze Ubiquity logs. So I use Ubiquity uh, Wi-Fi gear here at home, and I'm a huge fan of learning by doing, and I've sort of been trying to find an excuse to use Sentinel kind of in anger. Well, this uh, this sort of solved the problem, really. It's a nice little video shows how you can take your ubiquity logs and ingest them into Sentinel and uh, see what's going on. Uh, the only thing I really knew, <laughs> the only thing I really learned from all of this was that no one really cares about my network, but I guess that's a good thing. Uh, next thing is Azure Automation now supports user-assigned managed identities, and it's in public preview. Uh, it's actually pretty cool for a number of reasons. As I mentioned so many times, uh, you'll see more and more PaaS and SaaS offerings support the likes of uh, system-wide managed identities and user-managed identities. The nice thing about user-assigned managed identities is that you can set one up and use it multiple places. And the reason why that's important is because Azure does have a limit uh, to the number of role assignments per subscription. So this helps alleviate that because uh, if you have a managed a system-managed identity, you can only apply it once to one resource, whereas a user-assigned managed identity, you can sort of use it um, all over the place, which is uh, which is nice to see. So something else I saw the last few weeks was we now have free extended security updates only on Azure for Windows Server 2012 uh, and SQL Server 2012 R2 and SQL Server 2012. So if you've got an on-prem uh, solution uh, based on these platforms, and you can't sort of cut over to a new version of the operating system in time for the uh, extended security updates to, to expire, you can move that workload into Azure and we will actually uh, add uh, more years at the end so that you can actually take more time to essentially move to a, to a more secure and more updated uh, operating system. So it's actually kind of cool. So take your current workloads, move them to Azure and you'll get uh, extension an extension to your, your Windows security updates. Another feature which I was really happy to see was confidential computing using always encrypted and secure enclaves for Azure SQL Database is now GA. This is great to see. This has been in uh, preview for some time now. I've been playing around with it, playing around with it uh, quite a bit, uh, but it's nice to see that it's in GA. So essentially what you do is you set up an Azure SQL DB, and when you come to uh, set which kind of uh, infrastructure is going to live on. You can choose one of the DC series uh, VMs, and that will give you support to the underlying Intel hardware that supports the software guard extensions or SGX. And that will now give you support for always encrypted using secure enclaves. So that's a, a really nice thing to see as well. We also now support Azure AD authentication for application insights. Uh, normally, you know, in the past, it's been really kind of painful to support various authentication schemes for data going into App Insights, but now we support out of the box the ability to use Azure Active Directory identities. There's now an update to secrets configuration in App Service and Azure Functions. I'm not going to go into all the details, but historically, you've only had a small number of ways of storing secrets that's then accessible by App Service and Azure Functions. Well, we've now um, increased that to 
include things like uh, better support for Azure Key Vault. And the last item I have, uh, this is also in preview, is the ability to configure token lifetimes in the Microsoft Identity Platform. Uh, a lot of customers I see have been really wanting this for quite some time. So now you have complete control over when um, issue, uh, tokens are issued and when they need to be refreshed. And that's all I have for this week. So I've got a couple of things. Oh my goodness, and nothing about Azure Sentinel, though I could probably find something if we wanted. Um, no, today I'm going to talk about the next generation firewall capabilities, which are in the firewall premium. It has been in preview for a while, but it's now gone GA. So if you haven't looked at the um, Azure Firewall premium, what it has in it above normal Azure Firewall is TLS inspection. It does signature-based intrusion detection and prevention or IDPS, of which I know is a requirement of many regulatory, um, quite a few regulatory regimes. Um, you need to have that. Um, it also lets you filter web things based on categories. So things like social networking, gambling, other dodgy things, um, you know, that you might not want people to go on through your um, enterprise internet connection. And we've also got URL filtering. So you can do, you can actually filter outbound access to specific URLs, not just fully qualified domain names. So um, that's really really quite cool. So um, it is very cool. Go and have a look at it. Um, I know if you're one of those customers that needs to wait for something to be GA before you're going to use it, now is the time. So go and have a look because Azure Firewall is probably not as loved as it should be um, because it's just a firewall, but it's very cool. You can deploy it as code. Um, so it can fit very nicely in with your cloud deployments. Uh, next for AKS, uh, AKS will now allow Active Directory um, integrated clusters to be created without a local admin user account, which is cool because, of course, a local admin account is not the best thing from a security perspective because anyone can use local accounts, uh, whereas now you can actually create uh, clusters just um, uh, just uh, disabling those local accounts when you've set up the um, AAD authentication. So. Again, very nice. Nothing sort of groundbreaking, but again, really good for your security hygiene. Um, and then a couple of things in ASC, Azure Security Center. We've got some new alerts in Azure Defender for Key Vault. So if you're using Key Vault and you need to keep an eye on it, Azure Defender's checking out some new alerts. We've also got recommendations the recommendations to encrypt with customer managed keys is now disabled by default. So if you're using ASC and you use those security hygiene recommendations, which are very cool, um, of course, if you're not using customer managed keys, I'd say probably the vast majority of our customers do not manage their own keys, but there are some uh, parts of the world and some industries that require it. Um, you don't want your secure score to go down just because there's a recommendation, a hygiene recommendation that isn't relevant to you. So that's now disabled by default. Um, another, um, another just FYI, the prefix for Kubernetes alerts in ASC has changed from AKS to K8S. So AKS is Azure Kubernetes Service. K8S is actually the more standardized way of abbreviating Kubernetes. And that's all of my updates for this week. As we all know, Microsoft keeps looking for better ways to help uh, provide users with a way to own and control their own identity. 
So there are many capabilities that are being developed around this. One of them is Azure Active Directory verifiable credentials, which is currently in public peer preview. We talked a little bit about it uh, when it was in private peer preview. But if you haven't heard about it uh, before, it is a way to centrally manage uh, decentralized identity or, or DIDs. For example, when you're first logging into a company environment, you're given an account, a password, or some other method uh, to log in. When you first log in, the service sends you to a site or, uh, for you to scan for a QR code which with your uh, phone camera in order to enable the verifiable credential in your authenticator app or to start it. Uh, this is really cool because we are expanding the factors of authentication. Uh, for example, something you know, uh, account and password, something you have, in this case, the verifiable credential. If you use conditional access, then you expand uh, to use a factor that verifies where you log in from or somewhere uh, you are, um, such as IP address. And if you enable the Windows protection, you could have something you are, like biometrics uh, provided through Windows Hello, or even something you do, like a picture password. I think this is huge uh, because we're starting to look at our identity as a bigger than the platform itself. Uh, this concept of decentralization is really important as well. In Microsoft, we are anchoring the verifiable credential with a decentralized identifier, um, which points to a public uh, blockchain. This makes the credential durable over time and across domains. So in theory, uh, let's say that Microsoft were to go out of business, uh, you still will have uh, the credential, uh, it be yours uh, as an individual and available for you to control. This also means that uh, multiple autonomous uh, systems can use it as well. Anyway, identity management is, gonna, is going through a lot of changes, so it will be fun to watch all the identity capabilities that will be released in the next few years. The other thing that I wanted to mention since we're talking about identity is that everyone should look at aka.ms a sensitive operations report and run the assessment. Uh, this assessment uh, got created earlier this year, but it's still very relevant. Uh, one of the most common ways for attackers to gain persistent in the environment is by adding cre new credentials to uh, existing applications and service principle. This allows the attackers to authenticate as the target application or service principle itself. Uh, granting them access to all resources uh, to which uh, the application has permissions for. The assessment uh, will help you detect uh, such actions, uh, modif modified applications and principal creation and authentication methods, modify federation settings, new permissions granted to service principal and many others. Now let's jump uh, into another area of Azure. Azure Bastion is now in public preview. Um, as mentioned before, Azure uh, Bastion is a service uh, you deploy to let you connect to virtual machine using your browser and Azure portal. Um, it is a past service that you provision inside your virtual network and provides a secure and seamless RDP and SSH 
for the virtual machines uh, uh, directly from the Azure portal over TLS. When you connect to Azure Bastion, uh, your virtual machine uh, do not need IP address, uh, agent, or a special client. There's another way that you could uh, do this without Azure Bastion. Basically, you could give uh, an external IP, but that means that uh, your VM will be available externally uh, uh, all the time, unless you use uh, a, a service such as uh, Just-in-Time DM uh, which allows you to lower the risk by uh, uh, providing a time-based time um, access uh, to that RDP uh, connection. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that Windows 365 will be available in August 2nd. I'm really excited about this uh, and playing with it uh, because it allows you to securely stream your Windows experience, including your personalized apps, content, and settings. Uh, from the Microsoft Cloud to any device uh, with Windows 365 Cloud PC. Uh, this means Mac, iOS, Android, and, and I think soon uh, Linux is coming up. Uh, your applications, your settings, your content uh, are streamed uh, from the Microsoft Cloud to any of the devices. There's persistent integration between the cloud and the device, so if you disconnect and you come back to whatever you were doing before. The information is stored uh, in the cloud, not in the device itself. The system is always up to date and uh, built on the strength of Microsoft security capabilities and baseline. It uses network speed provided by the cloud service instead of uh, uh, the device itself where the user is connecting from. So it's not about uh, that uh, physical network speed, but the cloud network, uh, which uh, in turn allows you to collaborate with large files much easier, no matter where you are and which device you connect from. I'm looking forward with the, uh, to play with this, and, and I know that once uh, uh, this is released with the 5G Azure space and other capabilities that Microsoft is working on, and, and it's releasing, uh, this will open up a lot of opportunities uh, for mobile, more mobility at the, and at the same time, availability. And in, uh, in my world, a couple different things. Uh, first is, um, as, as uh, most folks probably know, I'm a Zero Trust Architecture Forum co-chair um, over at the Open Group. We uh, recently had an open group event where we announced the Zero Trust Commandments that we're working on, essentially taking the, the core principles that are already published and out there and kind of translating those into uh, commandments very much in the in the vein of uh, the Jericho Commandments that really kind of kicked off Zero Trust some you know decade or two ago. We're kind of exploring an interesting idea there where we're taking that sort of assume breach, assume compromise idea as a sort of a core assumption and looking at it more as like an assume failure and also having the the sort of yin yang assume success because you know business does continue and organizations do continue after a breach and so trying to have that blend of the of the positive negative instead of completely focusing on the negative um so it's sort of an interesting uh, set of things but then you know developing the those guiding commandments um that real clear guidance to follow up on it so it's work in progress uh, i put a link in the in the show notes there for the LinkedIn group where y'all can join and kind of share your opinions and discussions there. 
And then uh, for those that are open group members that, or organizations that work, uh, if you work for an organization that's in the open group, um, you can also participate directly in that process as well. And uh, some recent acquisitions uh, recently hit the news. Uh, Microsoft purchased a company named RiskIQ, which provides um, intelligence information for your company, for other companies, et cetera. So really, really exciting news and really um, interested in uh, digging in with that team to kind of, you know, uh, really deeply understand what they're doing and, and how to connect it with all the other good stuff that we're doing. Uh, we also uh, bought Cloudnox. Um, and so this is a, a, a cloud infrastructure and entitlement management uh, company that helps kind of discover and um, and, and help you kind of secure and tighten up um, permissions within Azure, AWS, and, and the like. Um, so really, really uh, excited about that to help um, organizations uh, get some clarity there and clean up um, any permissions or uh, any you know, issues there from you know, kind of the rough and tumble of DevOps and, and learning the cloud and figuring it out that might be there. And then uh, on the uh, firmware side, uh, specifically the IoT firmware uh, side, we uh, bought a company called Refirm recently. Um, and, uh, and so they're uh, they're really into kind of scanning and looking at um, the firmware of your IoT devices and is that secure, is there vulnerabilities in there, et cetera. So really excited to, uh, to have uh, that capability as well. So, um, you know, really can't wait to connect all these different pieces together. Next thing, uh, there is, uh, this is very important for those that are in the security operations space, so SecOps analysts, SOC analysts, um, managers, directors, et cetera. Um, one of the biggest things there is um, is a lot of folks are very network familiar and really you know been trained on and, and really get like IP addresses and subnets and CIDR addresses and you name it, really good at that. Um, but identity was never something that a lot of security operations analysts were trained on. And it's becoming more and more central to investigating incidents, understanding what happened. Because the network traffic, you don't always have that. And it's, it's not always clear and easy to figure out who was trying to do what at the time. Um, and so we released this Azure AD SecOps guide um, set on the doc site that helps um, with all those kind of things related to investigations and, and remediations, detections, et cetera. So really, really powerful stuff. Highly recommend uh, folks out there check that out. Um, and then uh, just a couple, a uh, few reminders, um, the ransomware guidance is out there. We actually kind of merged together the human operator and the ransomware AKMS URL. So both of them lead to the same place. Uh, we translated uh, the slide deck, that downloadable plan into kind of one, two, three guidance in the documentation to make it easier to follow and, and uh, follow along with as, a, as guidance. Of course, uh, recently published in the last couple of months, the cyber reference architecture already had like 9,000 hits, I think, on the on the landing page recently. So that, that one's get, getting some attention, but make sure you don't miss that one. And then the, uh, the more of the security program guidance uh, in their cloud adoption framework or CAF secure methodology is also out there. So we put those links in the show notes as well. And that's all I got. Okay, let's change tacks now and let's introduce our guest this week. Uh, this week we have Carmichael Patton, who's here to talk to us about Zero Trust. Uh, Carmichael, welcome to the podcast. Would you care to take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, so as mentioned, I'm Carmichael Patton. I'm a senior security architect here inside of Microsoft in our digital security and resiliency organization. Uh, we're like the the internal security IT org here at Microsoft. So we're, our billet is to ensure that we as a company are secured. For the most part, for the last six years or so that I've been here, um, it's been around a lot of what is not Microsoft. 
my, my area of focus is around all of the non-Windows systems. How do we protect, you know, iOS, Android, Mac, Linux, and as well as in the cloud, uh, how do we do open source containerization, uh, you know, orchestration, things like that. The relevancy here is for the last three years, um, I've been on our team leading our internal zero trust uh, efforts to how do we how do we get zero trust deployed inside of Microsoft. So what is zero trust? What are we trying to address with it? Well, that's a great question, Gladys. I think, you know, for, for us or for me, it really comes down to three things, right? It's, it's healthy devices, healthy identity, and telemetry to understand the states of both of those, right? And, and I think um, that's maybe a little bit oversimplification <laughs> of, of what zero trust is. Uh, and I think it's it's been around in the industry for quite a while. It started out as as a network strategy. You know, how do you micro segment your networks? But I think as we have moved through, uh, especially this last year, <laughs> we, we've had to really pivot and, and think about it in a different way. You know, we're not on those traditional networks anymore. We're actually accessing a lot of cloud resources now. And so how do we ensure that we're protecting ourselves without having the corporate environment to actually do a lot of those protections that we had before? So let me let me take a, a little bit of a sort of a skeptic's hat for a moment. Like, so so what's the big deal about zero trust? Why would I even bother doing this? You know, I'm doing my job just fine. You know, like, yeah. How would how would you respond to that? Well, I think it, it's first off, I would say keep a skeptical approach, right? I think there's a lot of even our own architecture that we put out there, and and I think for every company, zero trust is a little different. So I think keeping that skeptic's hat on when you're looking at it is is a good approach I think, you know come in with with the understandings of what you need and i think one of the things we say is, is have a good uh set of telemetry to understand your risks and really where you're falling but i think to answer your question you know again sort of just simplify it right is is you could go to the complete knee jerk and, and overreact and and put in so much security and compliance on top of getting access but you become non-productive and i think the where I would say to the skeptics, it's really more about productivity, but staying secure, right? Like what are the benefits that you're gonna get out of it, right? If you're, you know, you have your endpoints managed and your identities providing health to, to access those, your security teams are getting improved visibility because you're putting, you know, anti-malware and vulnerability management on those devices. You're getting logs and telemetry from them directly. You're not having to rely on other devices or other things to try to guess and speculate what those devices are doing. But at the end of the day, the users are able to get to the, what they're trying to get to, right, is, is, you know, especially when everybody's working from home, I have access to all of the systems I need to access to without having to worry about that. Uh, but I am coming from that that managed and healthy device. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something it's, it's hard. <laughs> I, it's, I, I went through the the uh, some of the things where we saw a whole bunch of different vendors presentations on Zero Trust, and it was just fascinating to see like all the different views of it. And I, I mean, I, I just felt such sympathy for the people that have to deal with that that crazy amount of confusion and, oh, Zero Trust is this, which happens to align the products that I'm selling you. I think that's the number one thing is like navigating that to get to that core truth. And so I'm actually really excited about the, the NIST work uh, in the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, the NCCOE lab, um, to sort of, you know, drive that consistency and, and drive that kind of um, clarity on it so people know what it is, what it isn't. And oh, by the way, even though it does some amazing stuff, it's not like a magic wand and you just don't have to bother operating it. You just put in a product and go. <laughs> I love yeah, that point yeah. you made. You know, it, it, it does have to be operated and, and practiced every day. 
Yeah, it's funny. I I, um, I remember you reminded me of an event we did a little over a year ago. We we went to a customer's on-site and they, they had a bunch of different vendors there to sort of do similar to what you were talking about, but but for them, the, you know, explicitly. And they question one of the vendors asked was back to the the um, customer, uh, you know, hey, what what is it that you could do for us? And I remember looking at him and this person is pretty well known in the zero trust circles, but I remember looking at him going, shouldn't we be collaborating and doing things for them to make it easier for them to deploy all of our technology? It doesn't matter what it is, right? Or who, who's deploying it. I mean, that's the thing about zero trust that makes it so great is it's not a product. It's not a suite. It's not an application. It's not a thing you lay down in your environment and oh, now you have zero trust. It's an architecture. It's a thing that you deploy in your environment based on the needs that you have to, to satisfy the risks that you have in your environment, right? And and I think that's, you know, even for us, you know, again, I'm not the marketing guy. We, we look at third-party products and we have third-party products inside of Microsoft that we use. So how do I get to ensure that those are also in my model to ensure that I have healthy devices and healthy identities, right? And, you know, if I go to my VPN, which is not a Microsoft VPN, right? <laughs> you know, am I conditionally accessed and forced and for health on that VPN tunnel to, to get in, right? I have to be able to ensure that those things work. So I think, you know, again, sort of to your point, Mark, which is, it's not just a thing, it's a, it's a idea, it's an architecture, and how do we make it work together? Uh, and I think that, that NIST approach was was interesting the other day, listening to all the groups collaborate. And I'm, I'm hoping that as an industry, we start collaborating more on this to make it easier for folks. Yeah, I fully realize hope is a four letter word, but I'm, I'm right, right, right there with you in that. And uh, the word that I'm starting to use, like to cover all of the things, because it's so different depending on whether you're like a CISO or like a SOC analyst or or, or a director of identity security or something, it's, it's so different. I mean, I think of it as a transformation. It's like a digital transformation. Like it's gonna change the retail dude or, or lady on the ground. That's like checking people out. It's gonna change the business strategy. It's gonna change everything, right? So I feel yeah. like that it's basically a transformation that touches everyone. You just described our last year of working from home for all of our store employees. <laughs> so one thing I'm a huge proponent of in the world of security is pragmatism. And uh, yeah, to me, pragmatism is absolutely foremost. Uh, is it still is it possible to achieve zero trust goals and stay within the spirit of zero trust without like adhering to the letter of the law? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Right. And, you know, kind of going back to the three things that I mentioned before, which is focus on identity or, or that the identity, the health of the identity, the health of the devices and the telemetry. Right. So focus on ensuring that your users are, are doing things like multi-factor authentication to validate who they are. Uh, if you can go passwordless, I mean, those are just, you know, the spirits of, of identity and healthy identity. Right. Is if I can make sure that that Michael is who Michael is, and it's not Mark spoofing his account to try to get in to, you know, change the the podcast recording or something, right? It, you know, and, and then the other piece of that is the devices. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, getting those devices into management. I think a lot of companies, and you know, we, we're probably call ourselves a unicorn to some extent because I think we fully embrace the BYOD strategy. You know, it's not just mobile devices, iOS and Android, with which we have about 100,000 of each or more. It's the Windows devices, the Macs, the even to some extent Linux devices, right, that users bring in because their job requires it, but it's their own device that they want to connect to, to our resources for. Having an idea or strategy around that and just don't, don't, you know, make it difficult, you know, make it simple. And, you know, you know, you can actually, you know, come close to that letter 
of the law to some extent, or at least the spirit of the law, like you said, right, uh, Michael, it, it's just um, you having that management there. And then telemetry, you know, I think I'll probably just say this openly. If you don't have telemetry, if you don't understand what's going on in your environment, then how do you understand the risks that are happening in your environment? Right. And, and I think that's ultimately what we're trying to solve for is to minimize the risk where possible. And just getting that understanding under, you know, where, where are my users coming from? How are they accessing things? Even if it's office or even if it's exchange or your line of business application, whatever that is, your HR app, your time and away reporting app, um, how are they accessing it? What devices are they accessing it from? When are they accessing it? You know, just getting an idea of what's happening in your environment and then making decisions based on that. It doesn't have to be the full letter of the law, like you said, of, of zero trust. It could be small steps of just applying MFA just to ensure that it's the users and then going from there, right? So is there a role here for AI and ML? I know we're using a ton of buzzwords, but got to ask the question. Yeah, no, that's, wow. Is there a role for AI and ML? The, the answer is wholeheartedly yes. And, and I think we rely on it very heavily, right? In, in the decision-making that we do. When we use Microsoft Defender for Endpoint NDE on all of our endpoints and we're making you know, the, the telemetry, we're getting the telemetry from those devices, you're not gonna ask your first line SOC analyst to sit there and look through all of that telemetry. You're, you're gonna use that machine learning and, and some of those AI tools that we have to try to at least understand where things may be occurring to try to give you that notification and then have them go from there on their their exploration, right? Is without having that sort of detailed modeling that can actually depict what's happening and then making those alerts, then that that becomes almost impossible for a SOC. When you have, I, mean, I forget what the numbers are, what two trillion bytes of data a day, two billion uh, events a day in in AD or or whatnot. I, I forget what all the numbers are, but it, it, in the sheer number of of, of alerting and reporting and all that stuff that we get is just ridiculous without having the AI and machine learning. And we didn't even talk about uh, Azure Defender for Identity. I mean, all of the stuff that happens there to understand what's happening with your identity to ensure that you are who you are and that you're, you're coming from, uh, your account hasn't been compromised, right? It's just, there's, there's so much there for that. In everything that you're talking, you mention a lot identity. Why do we focus so much on identity? Yeah, I mean, early on, we love to say identity is a new boundary, right? And I think it's almost true at this point, right? In, in that we've moved away from network being that boundary, and especially over the last 18 months, you know, the, the users are no longer in the office. They're sitting in their home offices connecting to us, and we use, you know, split tunnel VPN, so they're not necessarily even coming into our data centers. So we have to rely on, you know, the identity now being that access point for for how they're connecting to our resources when when i go to office or when i go to teams or when i go to powerpoint power bi you know name an application uh, or even a third-party app that is tied to my identity uh, you know if i go to the login there it's logging in with my at microsoft.com credentials and then it's going out and it's checking to make sure that my identity is healthy and then it's pulling in all of the other stuff you know azure active directory now has you know conditional access enforcement on top of that too so that identity suite really becomes the the new gating function you know whether you call it the the policy enforcement or you know whatever terminology you want to use for that 
that's where it's all happening. Those decisions are being made on top of that identity when you're accessing that. And then beyond that, it's it's continually assessing that same thing, right? It's, it's, you know, it's not just making that one-time look and saying, hey, okay, yep, Carmichael can go in, he can access Office, he can access Teams, he can join a meeting and meet with the folks here and chat about Zero Trust. But every period of time, whatever you've tuned it to, I'm also getting reattested to that and making sure that throughout that life cycle, I'm continuously being uh, validated through my identity. Uh, you know, whether that's the, I think we're doing hourly token refresh uh, with MFA uh, every 24 hours, I believe, something to that effect. But it really has sort of shifted away from that legacy network being the traditional network to the identity now being the boundary. So we've got zero, we talk about zero trust having six pillars. Can you talk about the challenges that Microsoft has gone through for each pillar? Uh, probably too many to talk about in the period of time we have. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about identity already. We talked about devices already, which which make up you know two core pillars there. Um, infrastructure, we we always have a challenge of ensuring that the infrastructure itself is healthy, that the you know the applications are being built safely, that they're using the right um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The right libraries from the identity, you know, the new MSOL libraries you know, for folks that weren't aware, you know, ADOL is slowly being retired as of June. Um, I think some of the support for it has gone away. Uh, limited, you know, I think it's now down to limited support. So making sure that the new libraries are being integrated um, into there so that the conditional access flow works. Um, and yeah, I think we'd actually be surprised that that doesn't happen even on some of our first party applications that we sell to customers, right? It, it's, you know, going back to those teams and saying, hey, I, I got to make conditional access work, not just for Microsoft, but for, you know, insert customer here, right? Um, I think, you know, networking is a good one, right? Especially as we get through trying to figure out how to segment our environment, you know, traditionally we've been pretty flat. Um, but, but with the new models, and, and I talked a lot about getting away from sort of that traditional you know, on-prem model, moving more to the cloud model. Uh, we've been fortunate about 93% of our traffic actually goes directly out to the clouds, whether that's our first party um, SaaS or PaaS solutions, or if it's uh, third party uh, solutions that we have. But um, you know, for what, what's left in the environment, how do we ensure that we're segmenting it in the right way? And I think the challenge for us lately has been trying to get into these IoT segments. We've, we've got a high-risk IoT and a low-risk IoT. So high-risk would be your things like building management and um, uh, life safety systems. And then you know, low-risk low, low risk would be printers and, and other IoT, you know, like the conference room phones and things like that. And I think we've seen some compromises in the industry on those types of devices. So how do we ensure that we can segment those away in a good and effective way? And, and what we found is it's actually probably a little bit more difficult than we thought it was, but we're, we're working through that. And I, I could probably talk about challenges for a while. Maybe we'll right. leave it there then just yeah. uh, if we, otherwise the podcast will just get too long. So over the last few years or so, especially certainly the last few months has been some very high profile attacks um, without naming any names. I mean, how could zero trust have helped mitigate or reduce the severity of some of these pretty public attacks? That's actually a great question and something we were challenged by Brett Arsenault, our CISO, was exactly that. And, and some of the ones that happened earlier this year, last year, at the end of the calendar year, right? 
um, we, we wanted to kind of prove like zero trust worked. <laughs> um, what we what we actually proved was zero trust itself didn't really necessarily do anything specific to protect us. But what it did do is reduce the blast radius. And, and a lot of the reasons for that is because of the telemetry that we were getting, because of having all these devices being enrolled now, Microsoft Defender on all of these devices and getting all of that telemetry. And like I said, the machine learning that was happening, uh, you start to see things occurring in your environment and all of a sudden you recognize that you have an attacker there and that attacker is now getting to a particular system and going from there to someplace else. Um, and you can then start using the rest of the telemetry that you have to really sort of isolate and figure out what's going on and, and you know, getting down to ensuring that, um, you know, that there that you're able to, like I said, sort of reduce that blast radius. And what we found, you know, again, was for everywhere where we had a managed device and we had MDE enabled and we were, you know, MFA enabled, there was no risk like that we, we were protected. But where we weren't, we had a, a system that wasn't managed that happened to have access into the network that was unknown to the security team. And, you know, the attacker got in, but because the user had limited access to the environment, they actually didn't get very far. Right. So. You know, some of that stuff is publicly known, so I'm not saying anything that's breaking me into jail. <laughs> I won't mention names of the attacks or anything like that, but that that's what I'm that's where I think zero trust comes in as an effective thing, right? Is is you know, I think the one of the things that our marketing team says is assume breach. And I think you know, most of the industry has used that for defense in depth as well. And, and honestly, you have to assume breach, right? They're there. We just don't know they're there until we find them. And, and I think that's exactly what we found with what we did with Zero Trust is the more we have these the Zero Trust model deployed, the better we are with the visibility to understand where they could be and, and how to mitigate it from there. So let's switch gears for a moment. Um, like, how do you think about, because security's always had a, shall we say, contentious relationship with productivity. Um, <laughs> always, some people see it as the opposite. So, you know, how, how, do, how do you all think about that, you know, as you're as you're going through and kind of you know, building a strategy, architecture, et cetera, for, for Microsoft's IT? Yeah, for us, um, you know, I think it's it's not one of the core pillars in, in the Zero Trust architecture that we have, but but employee experience for us internally is part of our core set of pillars. And, and I think it's something we take very uh, responsibly. And I think there, there's a couple of ways to look at it. One is at the end of the day, you got to get users to buy into what you're trying to do from a security perspective. You know, you could you can make all the decisions in the world and you can lock down your environment as tight as you want to get. But if, they, if there's a lack of understanding, if there's a lack of, of knowledge, then I think, you know, you're you're potentially, you know, breaking yourself into or locking yourself into a way that you're making users unproductive because they don't understand why you're doing it or, or how they can get to the things that they need to get to because you've locked it down so much. And it, it, there's that balance, right? So, it, you know, again, keeping yourself secure, but then making yourself productive. And by doing that, you're doing things like giving easy access, allowing them to connect to places uh, that they need to connect to from wherever they are. It doesn't have to be an office. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, their home. It could be a coffee shop. It could be their folks' house, you know, wherever, wherever they're at, if they need to get access to that resource, ensure that you have a way for them to get access to that securely. Single sign-on, making the experiences of them logging in easy and simple uh, that pulls in the passwordless story as well right and, and i mean uh, we are microsoft we are a windows shop and we do have windows hello <laughs> uh, 
Uh, think about the times you walk up to your computer, you smile at it, you frown at it, you, you get mad at it and it still unlocks your, your computer and lets you start working, <laughs> you know, grumpy on a Monday morning without a lot of cup of coffee and it still knows who you are. You know, I think we could point to some events in the past where we hadn't necessarily been as, as um, focused on productivity, but we've, you know, had events where folks have had to go home and they weren't as productive, but lately, you know, last year was, was almost too easy for us because folks went home and, and realized just how productive they could be without having to be in an office because of what we did to get us there, right? We, we had, you know, the ease of the VPN, we had the, the simple Windows Hello, you know, getting in, you had access because you were on a managed and healthy device, your, you know, your identities you didn't know were being looked at and protected. We, we removed the requirements for resetting passwords. It's almost been two years now. You guys remember, you know, we, we have to reset our passwords every 70 days, I think at one point. That, you know, now you don't have to reset your password and you probably, unless you're, you know, like me and you're using a non-Windows system from time to time, you probably don't even know that you, what your password is anymore. Uh, so also making it simple for them to reset it if they had to. I think there's there's a lot there to ensure that. And I think the, other, the flip side of that, too, is have the listening systems in place, right? Make sure that you're listening to what the users are saying when they're when they're complaining or, or not. You know, have those things in place to hear them and, and listen to them to say, OK, we're getting a lot of folks that are complaining about this new policy. What is it that we did that is making them complain? OK, getting that understanding, you know, OK, we push malware, anti-malware tools to a mobile device. OK, why? Why are they upset? OK. Let's figure out how we fix that and then, you know, make it more clear why we're doing it. You know, what, what are the reasons why we're putting this on your personal device? What is it that you're accepting by us doing it? Being very clear on what you can and can't do. Our terms of service, we renew about every three to six months because we just want to ensure that every agreement we're making with our employees is accurate. You know, here are the things we're absolutely going to do on your machine. Here's the things we're absolutely not going to do on your machine. Here's the telemetry that we have access to. Here's how we use it. Uh, being very clear about those things too becomes part of that promise. And I think, you know, zero trust can always be taken the wrong way because folks think you don't trust me. Uh, but what we're trying to do is build that trust and know that they, you know, help them understand that in order to trust, we have to verify, right? And, and I think that's where you have to get that balance in order to make them understand both the, the productivity and the security side. So let's say, a listener is new to zero trust what now how would you recommend that they they got started because it's a big thing right so <laughs> have you got any tips for where someone should start if it's a if it's new to them yeah a great question and i think first off one thing i'll say is it's not a short journey it's a long journey we've been on this road since before we called it zero trust for the six years i've been here and i think they start may have started the year before that so and not to scare people, I mean, we're a fairly large organization, but it, it, it takes time to get to where we are even uh, in our state. So the first thing I would say is, is really just what is it that you're looking, what is it you're trying to do, right? And for us, what we always tell customers when we talk about it is collect telemetry and evaluate your risks and then set your goals. What is it, the goal that you're trying to do? I think the easy button for starting this is really moving your identities to the cloud identities. So getting into Azure Active Directory. And, and you could do that by migrating to Office 365. That's a great way. That's what we did. Uh, we started our migrations several years back and then got onto Azure Active Directory and then started from there. That and then just enabling MFA. 
I mean, if you wanted the simple button, that's your simple button as far as I'm concerned, right? That, that gets you into the zero trust story and then you can start making some additional decisions from there. Pick a hero app. For us, it was Office 365. It could be a line of business application. It could be you know something just simple that a lot of your users are using. Um, or if you have a particular risk profile that the an application that those users are using, start with those and then set simple policies. Don't overwhelm them. You know, for us, it's basically six things. It's, you know, are the devices up to date with their operating system um, patches? Are they threat and risk-free? Are they encrypted? Evaluating the integrity of the device, you know, if it's jailbroken, do they have secure boot enabled? And then we do some app control things where we may push an application to a device or we may restrict an application from a device. I think that's actually five things, not six, but <laughs> but that, like I said, I mean, start simple. Don't don't take the 8,000 um, group policies that we used to have and try to force those onto a device and say you're healthy if you meet all 8,000 of these. Because honestly, we probably don't even remember what those 8,000 were and they're probably an overlap of about another 4,000. I, I think that that's how I would suggest is, is don't overthink it. Start simple, start with telemetry, start understanding your risk, pick a hero app, onboard to AAD, um, start applying MFA where you can. And once you do that, you're actually a, a long way down the road. We always ask our guests for their final thought. If there's something that you want to leave our listeners with, um, or one piece of advice or a thought, what would it be? Yeah, I think you know. Again, I'll just reiterate it. It's not a. It's not a quick fix. It's not an application you deploy. It's not a, a button that you push for zero trust. It's a journey, and really, everybody's journey is different. Our journey is where we are because we've been on this for a while. Uh, if you're just starting out, it's your journey. But, you know, again, understanding the risk in your environment, understanding what it is you're really trying to, to protect, starting simple, you know, and going from there. I, I think that's the key. You know, you don't don't think this is just something you're going to fix overnight and, and go. It's, it's a it's a journey and it takes pretty much everybody to, to really kind of lean in and, and do it, whether it's your security teams, your leadership teams, your employees. It, it's a journey for everybody. <laughs> Well, thanks ever so much for joining us, Michael. He had to drop off the end of this recording, so I'm going to wrap it up and say thanks everyone for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.